This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, which can be found on page 873 of the Church Bible. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at a house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, He may say to you, friend, move higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thank you, James. And thank you to Malcolm and to Scott and our musicians. Now, here's a question. What makes for an awkward Sunday lunch or dinner party? And uh, this may be uh, good live advice for you if you are having anyone for lunch or for dinner. So here are three subjects to be avoided. Number one, politics, especially Scottish independence. Number two, COVID rules, compliance thereof. Number three, eternal salvation. Just don't go there, and uh, we'll come back to this in a moment. Now, last week we began a new section in Luke's Gospel. Luke divides his narrative into sections. Our section is 13.22 through 17.10. It is all about who will be saved. And that's a very interesting subject for us in the early part of this term. Who will be saved? Will there be many? Will there be few? Who will be saved? And the question Jesus is asked, recorded in chapter 13, verse 22, governs the whole extended section. The question is, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? And through these chapters in Luke, Jesus answers the question. But as he answers the question, there is a refrain that runs through the chapters. And you see it first in chapter 13, verse 24. So as you consider the answer to the question, Lord, who will be saved, the refrain that we keep hearing is, be saved, or strive to enter through the narrow door. That's how Luke describes it, or Jesus. The door is a metaphor. The door is the way of salvation. To be saved, you have to go through this door. And it's worth just pausing there and noting that being saved is not about who we are or how we live or what we do. It is about entering in. It's about going through a door. The door is Jesus, specifically his death on the cross. 
the event that makes salvation possible. Now, let me just go to the inside of the door and just reflect on what we have sung, some of the extraordinary blessings there are for those who go through the door. We sang it with amazing grace, forgiveness of sins, peace with God, the removal of judgment, life in the Spirit, the prospect of heaven, a place with Jesus for eternity. That is what is offered to all humanity, every single person. But it's a narrow door, not easy to go through. Why is it not easy? Because to go through that door necessitates that we come to terms with our sinful nature and the consequences, that we are in a broken relationship with God as human beings and faces judgment. Now, to go through the door, one has to really come to terms with that and to say sorry. That takes humility and pride puffs out our shoulders such that we cannot fit through the door. Moreover, to go through that door requires not only that we come to terms with our sinful nature and say sorry to God, but that we realize that we cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus. Salvation is in Christ alone through His sacrificial death alone, whoever we are. It is a narrow door, and the narrowness is because it takes humility from men and women to enter in. Now, whether or not we enter is not a matter of indifference. Jesus exhorts us to strive to enter. To strive means urgency, warning if we do not. For if we do not go through the door of salvation, we will not be saved. And that means eternal judgment. Now, Jesus will do everything He can to persuade us to enter through the door of salvation. At times, He is compassionate, gracious, patient in His invitation. And as we study God's words Sunday by Sunday, if you are not a Christian, what you will hear from Jesus' own lips recorded in Scripture at times is extraordinary compassion, gracious invitation, patience. But at times, you will hear Jesus being provocative, as He is in this passage, in order to shake us awake of our need of salvation. But always, because He wants us to go through the door and be saved. But there are two things Jesus is clear on. One, that He will not widen the door. The door will always remain in the shape of a cross. 
and there is no way you can squeeze through. Whoever you are, whatever you have done, whatever you think, unless there is deep, heart-searching humility, conviction of sin, and reaching out to Jesus for salvation. The other thing is that one day he will shut the door. So, strive to enter while you can. Now, that's the context, and our Bible passage in Luke's Gospel today is chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. We read the first bit of it earlier. Let me give you a working title, which is uh, close to the title in the service sheet, but not exactly, because the one in the service sheet was Thursday afternoon. It gets better by Friday night or Saturday night, and in this case, very early on Sunday morning, because I came here because I wanted to put the heating on for you. Just to say that this is definitely the best service to come to, because it's warm. <laughs> so here's the working title, Why People Say No to Salvation. So why people say no to Jesus. Now that's instructive. If you are a Christian and keen to speak to others of Jesus, you will be all too aware, as I am, that many, many people say no. Well, Jesus teaches us why people say no, and that's helpful. And if you are somebody who has hitherto said no to Jesus, it might well be that as we work through this passage, Jesus will just touch on some of the reasons that you have said no and perhaps are less sure about saying no to now. Now, let's read verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, this whole section, 14, 1 to 24, uh, describes what happens at a dinner party. A dinner party on the Sabbath. Who is there? Well, the host is there, described as a ruler of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious group of Jews known for their piety. The word Pharisee means separated. They had a, a zealous commitment to keeping all the laws of the Old Testament Scriptures. And they had their own oral tradition on top of the law. Moreover, the Pharisees, typically in Jesus' day, were the most connected in society. Socialites and powerful and able commercially and in other ways. They were the powerful, the religious elite. And uh, that was the host. And then were his guests described as lawyers and Pharisees. Lawyers uh, here means experts or teachers in the Jewish law. The dinner party is, if you like, the great and the good of the Jewish religious establishment. Now, it's very important that we don't sort of demonize or caricature Pharisees. The best way, I think, for us is just take a slice of our lives, that's what this is. It's just a dinner party with good and respectable people, able people, religious people. 
And Jesus was there. Why? Because they were watching him carefully, Luke records. And there is, and rightly, we hear this, a sinister ring to that. They saw him as a threat. They wanted to catch him out to get him to do or say something that would undermine him. One more person is there, a man with dropsy, a painful and often fatal illness. He would not have been a guest. It was customary at these dinner parties to be public occasions. The guests would lounge, they would lie on uh, um, couches, and they would dine in the center of the room or the courtyard in the evening sun. And people, local people, would gather around the perimeter to admire the spectacle and to listen to the erudite conversations. So this man with dropsy might just have happened to have been there. I'm not convinced of that. I think he was probably uh, planted there in order to get at Jesus. So there's the scene. Remember, this is all about why people say no to salvation. And I want us to think just about a cross-section or a cut of a slice of just people we would know, or ourselves. Why people? Why we would say no? And there are two things I think Jesus teaches us. Let me just tell you them, and we'll take each in turn. Firstly, People say no to salvation because they will not come to terms with their sinful nature and need of forgiveness. And second, people say no to salvation because they value the things of this life more than heaven. Now, I think that's what Jesus is teaching. And of course, it's just spot on, isn't it? People say no to salvation because they will not come to terms with their sinful nature through and through, say sorry to God, and reach out to Jesus for salvation and sing amazing grace that saved the wretch like me. Wretch is the right word. And second, people will say no to salvation because they will value the things of this life more than heaven. Now, let's take the first of these. Now, what Jesus says at this dinner party is provocative for sure, but His intent is only to show the host and His guests their sinful heart. Now, what Jesus does, first of all, is expose their hypocrisy. And uh, let's be uh, honest and open and say that there is hypocrisy in every one of our hearts. There certainly is in mine. Verse 3, Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, responded to them, watching him, intent of catching him out, saying, Jesus is taking the front foot. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him, the man with dropsy, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, and let's hear this question coming at us, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. I mean, outside after the first service, various small children were jumping off various walls, as they do. 
I mean, say one of the kids fell and, and hurt himself. Would, would somebody not take his hand and pick him up? Oh, no, because it's the Sabbath. We can't do that. It's just absurd. Of course you would do it. That's the point. If your child has fallen into a well, we've no wells outside, what would you do? Would you not immediately pull them out? Of course you would. And if your ox falls into a well, we've no ox outside, but you can use your imagination. Of course you'd pull it out. That's what Jesus is saying. Simple as that. And he's saying, but you're going to call me out for healing this man, aren't you? He's just exposing hypocrisy. And the truth is, we are all hypocrites. I am one in all sorts of ways. Let me suggest one area where we might be hypocrites that's contemporary. The whole issue of what people do or don't do through COVID. Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible what they've done when there's hypocrisy in our own hearts. That's just one example. How terrible it is that so-and-so is doing this or saying that when I am doing exactly the same myself. Oh, but that's different. It's me. We're, 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 I'm a hypocrite. I don't have the confidence to say that you are, but I have the confidence to say to you that your pastor is. But that's okay. Because in recognition that I am a hypocrite, I am in recognizing my sinful nature. And that is necessary and a helpful way of letting the shoulders of one's pride slump and droop down so you can enter in through the narrow door. I wonder what their silence reveals. What are they thinking? Why on earth did I accept the invitation to this party? But isn't this true? Aren't there awkward moments at a wedding when the groom or the best man shares the gospel in their speech? And all over the room, people's heads go down. And you get that special silence. Or at a funeral, when people are encouraged to come to terms with their need of salvation. One of the ironies at a funeral service is that people's hackles go up when you dare to mention that someone has died. Now, it's really important to remember that if, if you are sort of sensing or feeling that what you're hearing is provocative, it's very important that we remember it's Jesus words that are provocative, and He alone has the right to be provocative. We don't have that right with each other, but Jesus does. Remember His desire to save. Next, Jesus exposes their self-promoting arrogance. We've had the starter and now the fish course, and uh, He told, verse 7, a parable to those who were invited, and what happened is that they came into the meal. Jesus may have been first there, and He watched them he watched them uh, doing the equivalent of uh, just before the meal, let's just put my jacket on that seat because I know that that seat is close to that person who I want to speak to or be seen to next to, whatever. That's what Jesus saw. And all Jesus is doing is exposing their and our fallen nature in another way, our desire for self-promotion ambition to get on at the expense of others, to be well-regarded, to be in with our boss, to have this or that title, to be tagged, liked, or retweeted. Now, I don't uh, know anything about these things, 
but I do, to my shame, quite often check how many hits there were on my sermon on YouTube. And if there were dislikes, I get quite angry. Sometimes I even think it might be nice to add to the likes. There'll be 45 this afternoon. <laughs> but that, that's exactly what, that's funny in a way it is, but it's not. It's true of our hearts, isn't it? It is true of our hearts. Oh, but Christian ministers are free of this. When, when I write a book or, or, or a blog, I'm not concerned to see how many, or what rank I am on Amazon, 25 billion. We are like that. I am like that. My heart is. But we recognize that in us. We recognize that we can justify in our minds, as I have done, that sit at a funding dinner and get close to the person with the funds is good, but it's not good, really. And I'm not ashamed to tell you Maybe you're shocked, I don't think you are, because I think you're just the same, probably. As one writer puts it, I think this is a great phrase, uh, our oh-so-decent middle-class morality is a shambles. You see, it's in coming to terms with this that leads us through the door. And if you're a Christian here, however able you are, however professionally gifted you are, whatever you have done, whoever you are related to, all that, you will just be smiling in your heart saying, thank you, Jesus, that you've opened my eyes. And you'll not be afraid to admit it, but it might be that there are hackles on the back of your neck. Jesus is gently asking you, is this not true? And then, as the plates are being gathered after the fish course, Jesus addresses the host. Verse 12, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Uh, now, this is not an excuse not ever again to invite your relatives to your house. It's not saying that. The issue here is that our social lives, and I think this is a spot-on and a contemporary example, our social lives might give the impression of convivial generosity, but there is no generosity in inviting people who will always invite you back. He's not saying we don't show hospitality to friends and relatives. He is simply exposing a self-serving agenda in our hearts. When you give a feast, Jesus said, verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Really? What do we do with that kind of instruction in our comfortable world? Well, one of the things we are praying about and thinking through really carefully is when we go back into our building up the road, how can we engage with those in our community, and there are many of them associated with the hospital, who are poor and lame and crippled. Will we invite them to our table? 
I think that's exactly what it's saying. I think we're meant to take it literally. And then tied in with that is Jesus exposing what we might call short-sighted morality. Are we living even in the realm of hospitality in a way that looks for what we will receive in this life by way of repayment or reward? You will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So what Jesus is doing in all of this is quietly taking us or reminding us of why we needed to or do need to go through that narrow door. Because we have hypocritical hearts, self-promoting tendencies, self-serving desires, even in who we invite to our homes, and a short-sighted morality that is more concerned for the here and now than eternity. The words of Jesus either convict us or they rile us. I think that's fair to say. They convict us or they rile us. I wonder if the hosts listened to the guests, listened to, to Jesus. I hope and pray that some of them did. Now, second, Jesus teaches us that people say no to salvation because they value the things of this life more than heaven. In the first service, Scott did a bite size of this. He invited all sorts of people to his party, and no one came. Um, so you've got to get your head around this. Um, the dinner party uh, by this stage was pretty tense, and there's a wonderful phrase in the text. Uh, it's there in verse 15. Uh, one of the guests, um, you can imagine the silence and the atmosphere. And one of the guests said, oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's a little bit like saying, my, isn't it sunny for this time of year? It's just kind of, come on, let's just change the subject, Jesus. Let's get off religion and on to something else. Let me just contemporize that. Do you know how tempting it is at a funeral to avoid speaking the gospel? because people don't want to hear it? Jesus finishes with a parable. Let's read it, verse 16. He said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, one of the pictures of heaven in the Bible is of a wedding feast. Splendor and glory. Uh, heaven is a new creation with all that spoils this world removed. A perfect relationship with God and Jesus. Heaven is a perfect relationship with one another. And that is a wonderful, 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 
wonderful thing. Yet, when invited to that banquet, people make excuses. I bought a field, or whatever the equivalent is today. I bought some oxen, and I must inspect them. Really? Compared to eternity? I've got married, so I can't come. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's touching on the issues of life, work, possessions, relationships. And he's saying to us, people will say no to the invitation to the banquet because they will value or focus or hold on to things in this life. More than that. And for some, it's just procrastination. I'll get to it sometime. And that time really comes. But there's something else going on here. You know, very often when you hear uh, Jesus' words in the Bible, he just is so logical, logical it sounds. But to me, th the excuses here just do not sound logical compared to what's on offer. So let me give you a, a contemporary example. I invited somebody to come to a, 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 the equivalent of a Hope Explore course, and, and they actually said to me, I can't come because I've got to watch the Bake Off on whatever night it was. Well, I mean, that's a fair excuse. But that's just normal. A place at the banquet of God? Or that? Why, why do people work like that and tick like that? Because it's true. Because they value the things of this life more than heaven, yes, but because there is a supernatural agency to blind people's eyes to the truth of the gospel. And when God opens our blind eyes, we see things for how they are. And that's a realm that none of us can engage in, God opening our blind eyes. Now, let me summarize and conclude. Why do people say no to salvation? Jesus teaches because they will not come to terms with their sinful nature and need of forgiveness. And second, because they value the things of this life more than heaven. And third, because Jesus, because Satan blinds their eyes. Now here's the shock as we finish. Heaven will be full of people who say yes. The fact that all these people make excuses not to come to the banquet does not stop the banquet going ahead. So the master says to the servant, go out and compel people to come in. Heaven will be full. There will not be an empty seat. It'll be full of people who say, yes, who will be there, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, people from the east and the west. This is from chapter 13, as Malcolm prayed from north and south. And behold, some are last will be first, and some are first will be last. Notice, he doesn't say everyone who was first on the earth will be last, and last will be first. There will be some very wealthy people in heaven, and there will be some very poor people who are not in heaven. But I think it's true to say that if we have much, great wealth, great success, great notoriety on the earth, it is harder for us, if we are like that, to find a humility to say, I am a sinful person through and through.
and I cannot save myself. Who will not be there? Well, for one thing, uh, the guests at the dinner party Jesus is at. Verse 24, uh, for I tell you, the you is plural. Uh, he is referring to his fellow guests, I think, at the dinner party. None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The banquet will be full, but these religious leaders will not be there. They are not excluded because they are religious leaders. They are excluded because they are not repenting of their sin. Heaven will be full of people who say yes, not because they are poor, not because they are rich, not because they are religious, but because they are humble. And it is true, I think, as I said, that it's harder for the great and the good to be humble. Now, the last word as we reflect on Jesus' teaching. To those on the outside of the door, if that is you, Jesus encourages you to strive to enter. To those who think they are inside but are less sure because of what Jesus is saying, then let me encourage you to sit down and talk to someone. Talk to God about it. Strive to enter. And to those on the inside, be ever thankful. Speak honestly to others about your sinful heart. Do not be ashamed to speak of your need of salvation. Give people your testimony. Tell them your story. Keep on repenting of your sin. Accept that many people will not enter in. Be prepared to suffer rejection with Jesus. But get up, dust yourself down, and go out and compel people to come in. And remember, the banquet will be full. And make sure you are there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this clear and powerful teaching from Jesus. We pray that we will be at that banquet and that if we have not yet come through that door deeply conscious of our sin and looking to Jesus for salvation, will you give to us humility to do so? And Lord, if we are through that door, and it's only by your grace and mercy, may we be ever thankful, ever thankful, and give our lives on this earth to compelling people to come in. Thank you that the words of Jesus disarm us, humble us, and then make us smile as we face up to who we honestly are. That is a good thing to do. And there is forgiveness and a place in heaven for us. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And we pray in your name and for your sake. Amen.